Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. So we're focusing on our value of honor because at Overflow we believe in honoring up down and all around. Come on. And we're talking about bringing this fragrance of honor to the environments that we're in. And then whenever we honor the Lord and we actually honor others, we can actually bring influence, right? And so many people try to bring influence by being cool or hip or, or being kind of domineering. But really one of the best ways that we can bring influence is by honor through the, through the culture of honor, honoring the Lord and then honoring others. Man, we've gone through a lot on this series. We've at least got one more week, maybe two uh, during the series. Y'all enjoying the series okay? Okay, so we've been talking about, a few of y'all, Daniel, we've talked about Esther, right? We talked, we talked about Joseph uh, last week. We talked a little bit more about Daniel. And this week, we want to focus on Daniel's three friends. And we're all familiar with these three guys, right? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, right? We all, we're really familiar with this story. And we're going to focus on that in Daniel chapter three. If you have your Bibles and this is the main point. The, the, The message in one sentence is this, is that our consecration, not our compromise can influence the culture. Come on, let me say it one more time. Our consecration and our concentration, our concentration on our consecration, our our consecration, not our compromise, will influence the culture. And many people think that, hey, if I can just be a little bit more like the world, if I can be a little bit more relatable, then I can transform the world. But that is not how we transform the world in the kingdom of God. Jesus came. He is absolutely unique and absolutely holy and uncommon and totally different. He was a consecrated person. He is one who knew no sin, to become sin for them, that they might become the righteousness of God, right? It was in his consecration. It was in his set-apartness. It was in his holiness that he sees the world transformed even today. And so in this story, in Daniel chapter 3, we know how the three Hebrew children, which we'll call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that is actually their Babylonian names, and we know Daniel, and how they were, they were getting in, man. They were, they were educated, they were serving well, they were doing sol- really solid work. We talked about Daniel last week and how he was influencing the king and interpreting dreams. They were people of excellence. They were bringing all these incredible, incredible attributes before King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire. So in chapter three, what happens, and it wasn't like total influence, right? Just little by little. And what we see is Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream we talked about last week where it's this, you know, this crazy statue that's a head of gold and the head was him. And then they had the the rest of the body, which represented other kingdoms that would come. And we know that Christ was revealed in that. But in, in chapter three, he actually builds a structure. Now, most historians, most theologians believe that probably the structure that he built, we're not told here in the scriptures, but, but the, the, the structure that he was built was probably a structure of what maybe he saw with the head of gold, because it was a gold statue. And he builds this statue, he erects this statue. So it's safe to assume it's him. It might've been maybe maybe a, an idol for one of the many gods that they served. But regardless of what it was, it was an idol that he had 
erected. And so what he said is he said, well, let's, let's go through and let's get all the influencers, right? And he starts off with the musicians. Isn't it interesting? He grabs all the musicians and he brings them together and he grabs all the leaders of the land and brings them together, all the governors and all the, all, all the, all the people in all the positions of power from all over the land. And he brings them to the, to the epicenter of Babylon and he erects this statue and it's not just like, hey, you know, we're a solemn assembly. It is a party. I mean, they are dressed up. I mean, it is like what you can think of. A, maybe you've seen some of these festivals like the Burning Man or something like that. They are having this huge party to celebrate the inauguration of this statue. And the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, says, you know what's going to happen is when the band starts playing, when the music pipes up is what everyone's going to do is they're going to bow down. And they're going to worship this golden statue. This is going to be the God that our nation serves. And so we see all the cultural influencers, right? All the musicians. They're dressed in their finest garb. They are there. All the leaders are bowing. Everyone's bowing. All the, all the leaders of different religions of the world. All the, all the people that are pursuing all these false gods, they're there. But however, there's three people that said, you know what? We're not going to bow. This is something that violates our commitment to God. And it says this in verse eight, but some of the astrologers, <laughs> come on, those are some enemies right there. Some of the astrologers went to, king, went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all people to bow down and worship the golden statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. When the band plays, you said they're supposed to bow down and worship. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, what he had decided is if people didn't choose to bow down and worship, then what would happen is they have this furnace that was used to build the Babylonian empire, this furnace that was used as a kiln to fire bricks, to build all the things they were building, probably even was used to build this statue. They will be thrown into this fiery place. So they said, here's these guys, but there are some Jews. There's always some Jews. There's always some remnant. There's always, there's always some peculiar people. There's always just a few people that refuse to go against the flow. And he sees them and he says, there they are. There's some, a few of them, you know, you, you know them, king. I mean, they've, they've been serving. Now understand this. They had great favor with the king, but the decree had been issued. These, these Jews, these, these Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know them. You know, the ones that you put over the providence of Babylon. They're leaders. They're not, they're not holding the standard, king. They're not setting the example for everyone else. But they pay no attention to you, your majesty, which isn't true. That first charge wasn't true. They did. They did honor him. We'll see where they honor him a little bit more. They refuse to serve your gods, true. And do not worship the gold statue which you have set up, also true. Then King Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. <laughs> the NIV version says, furious with rage. 
and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods? Notice he didn't get into the honor of the king part because he already knew that they were pretty good at that. Is it true that you won't serve my gods or worship the gold statue which I've set up? I mean, you guys studied this for three years. Have we not indoctrinated you? I will give you one more chance to bow down. So we see they have some favor with the king for another opportunity to bow down before this decree. I'll give you one more chance to worship the statue I've made and when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, listen, this is what I've got to do, gang. You'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Now understand, they didn't say this with absolute certainty. They said he is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Check out that language. They're still honoring him. We, we understand you're powerful, but we serve one who's more powerful. Your majesty, you are powerful, but we have one who's more powerful. But even if he doesn't. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you. Let there be no confusion, your, confusion, your majesty. We say this with all due respect, hat in hand. Here we are. Let there be no confusion. We'll never serve your gods. We will never worship the gold statue that you have set up. See, King Nebuchadnezzar was issuing this decree, but these three Hebrew children, before they honored down or all around, they were honoring up. And they were honoring the God that they served. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, honoring up, honoring the Lord in Babylon. When we talk about Babylon, when we talk about this, this place in the scripture, it is very much an image of the darkened world that we live in and the power that is behind it. That's what Babylon is. And many people, you know, end time theologians, and we say, you know, is America Babylon? Is, you know, whatever Babylon. Listen, Babylon is the world. It is the world. Yet God has preserved for himself, it says in Romans, a remnant. God has pr 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 provided some people in the midst of Babylon that says, you know what, we will, we, will, we will love on Babylon. Come on, we will honor Babylon. We will, we will do what we can, but I tell you what, we will not honor Babylon above the Lord. We will honor the Lord first. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Now, remember when we talked about our passage about the, the fragrance of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 15. We, we talked about how that it smells good to those that are being redeemed, but the, to those that are perishing, it smells like death, right? It, 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 it's, it's pungent. Why, why does it stink to them? <laughs> because they're blind. Because their sense of smell is messed up. And sometimes your good works will stink to the world. But they're fragrant to God. 
because it's hidden to the world. And he says, it's Satan. Everybody say Satan. Everybody say the devil. <laughs> Let me remind you who is in charge of Babylon. It's Satan. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. He was a puppet. Let me remind you as who, who is in charge of this darkened world before you get offended at a person. It's the devil. It's Satan. Satan, who is the God of this world. You're saying Satan is the God of this world? Yes, he's the little G God of this world. He is the ruler of this world. He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Listen, lest you get offended by someone who is not a believer, <laughs> remember that they are blinded by Satan. He's your enemy. Not the citizens of Babylon. Remember who the enemy is. And make sure that your heart also is not blinded. That you're not deceived. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. You don't want people reject the gospel because they're under the control of Satan. This, this isn't an, an, an accusation against them. It's a fact. It says it right here in the word of God. That if you have not been enlightened by the truth of Jesus, you're blinded and darkened by the God of this age, Satan. So stop, listen, stop, 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 stop expecting non-believers to have believers' convictions. <laughs> you get mad, oh, they're just, they're heathens. They're all, they're, everybody's lost around me. Yeah! Well, you should hear the way they talk. Are they Christians? Yeah. Well, then correct them. <laughs> but if they're not, why do you have a standard for them that they can't hold? <laughs> you ain't even holding it most of the time. <laughs> They're sinners there. Good. Because you're light in a dark place. You're called to represent the God of heaven in Babylon, just like these three young men were. And they were young men. They were young. They were definitely under the age of 20. Some of y'all are finding hope in that. It says in John 3, 19, it says, God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. Listen, sinners sin. They love the life that they're doing. So when you bring the gospel... Of course it's offensive. You're living opposed to God. How dare you judge me? Well, I'm not judging you. The word of God is judging you. Now, if you call yourself a Christian, I may bring some judgment because that's what scripture calls us to do. Judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. But if you're lost, I'm not condemning you. I'm just calling an apple tree an apple tree. So don't get frustrated. Listen, don't get frustrated at Babylon for being Babylon. It's just what they are. But understand that the power behind Babylon is Satan. He is in control of this thing. And they're all just following into his plan. However, you are called to live in opposition. You're called to live in resistance. And this is how we honor the Lord in Babylon. There's lots of ways we've been talking about. The first way is this, resistance. Just the refusal to bow to the gods of this age to the gods that they've set up, to the gods that they're singing to. 
Do you have resistance? I've met a lot of Christians in my life. I've met a lot of seasoned Christians in my life that have no resistance. They never stand up against temptation. They never, they never rock the bus. They go with the flow. They live in sin. Now, now scripture tells us in 1 John that if we continue in sin, we have never seen him nor known him. Let it be clear. If you are living in sin, you don't know the Lord. Don't say, you, you might be able to get away with that for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. But if you've been in the Lord and you're justifying sin, you're not of the Lord. Let me just be real clear with you. You say, pastor, you say, yes, I am saying that. I'm saying that because that's what the word of God teaches. Bury your head in 1 John this week and let it, please let the word of God judge your heart. Please let it do that. And let it reveal if you're of the darkness, if you're part of Babylon, or if you're part of Christ. See, God calls us to faithfulness. It's what he calls us to. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So I think in this moment, the Lord's looking at Babylon. He's going, let's see. Let's see whose hearts are committed towards me. And he sees these three young men stand up and they say, we will not bow. Let's give them another shot. We will not bow. The problem is many are more interested in their comfort in Babylon than their commitment to Christ. Are you more committed to your comfort and Babylon and going with the flow or your commitment to Christ? Because I can tell you this, beloved, following Jesus will cost you your comfort. It will, it will co cost you comfort to say no, to do sex God's way. That's uncomfortable because libido is strong. <laughs> I get it. But you're called to a different standard. You're called to faithfulness. See, these three men, they, they, they lived by the law, literally. The first five books of the, New, the Old Testament, they had memorized. I mean, they were like, they, they didn't eat anything a shellfish had touched. I mean, they were committed to like some of the craziest things that you, that you could imagine. But within them, they had this core of the Ten Commandments, which the Ten Commandments are the moral law reflecting things that are just naturally moral. Like, don't kill. Like, don't steal, right? But within that, there is these two commandments that, that God starts off with. He's like, love the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me, right? No other gods. They've been studying all these thousands of gods that Babylon knew. They knew the gods. They weren't gonna serve those gods. This idol was here, to honor those gods, we're not, no. Nor do you have idolatry. He says this, right? Have no other gods before me. You shall not worship any other idols. Nothing made of heaven or of the earth. In other words, don't, don't get a statue of Jesus and pray to that. Because that's an idol, right? If you're praying to a picture, you're praying to the wrong thing. It's probably an American Jesus anyway. Probably need to throw that in the trash. Because that's not Jesus, He's not European, just so you know. 
It's okay that there's paintings of European Jesus. It's okay. But don't pray to it. Come on. First, what about the New Testament? Okay, here you go. First John 5, 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. The NIV says it this way. Keep yourself from idols. What is an idol? An idol is anything that would rob us of our dependence or our devotion to God. If you say, I don't have time to spend time in prayer, you have an idol called time. If you say, I can't be committed (laughs) to God because of my job or because of my spouse or because of my addiction, whatever it is, how big or how small you have created a God because you've given it your devotion more than the God of heaven. An idol is anything that would rob you of your dependence, your trust. What are you trusting? I, I find a lot of people, their, their dependence is upon their spouse. I'm, I'm going to stop. Let's, let's just say it this way. Men, your wife is not your mama. That doesn't mean that, that she can't do things for you. She can, but you shouldn't expect it if it's not something she don't want to do. She's not your mama. She married a man. Be a man. And women, I'll just, I'll I'll let y'all deal with that on yourself. So listen, here's the deal. An idol is anything that distracts us or takes our devotion from God. If there's a person in your life and you can't serve God because of that person, whether it's a romantic thing, if you can't obey the scriptures because of a person, because of a relationship, because of a job, anything, you have an idol. And that person you are bowing to. That person you are setting up and you're saying, you know what, they're more important than God to me. I've met many, their job is that. I've met many, money is that. Materials are that. The lake is that. Hunting is that. Their hobby, whatever it is. Football, for real. There's people that won't go to church during football season. Like today. There's probably people here today. Well, the Cowboys aren't playing, so they played on Thursday, so they're all in church. But if they are playing it, listen, I'm not joking. There are seriously people that will miss church for 16 weeks straight because their boys are playing. Seriously? I mean, there's this thing called TiVo that can kind of help you out with your problems. Or not TiVo. That's not even a thing anymore. It's showing my age. TiVo? What's that? Oh, what well, used to be this thing. There's a, listen, there's a thing called a VCR. Gosh, what is wrong with me? I'm hitting it, guys. I'm hitting it. I'm just almost there. I'm almost to 50, and that's just what happens. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. The Google. The Yahoo search engine. All right. Okay. All right. Ask Jeeves. There you go. Okay. All right. All right. Come on. Y'all know how to party. All night asking Jeeves. All right. So didn't come to church because I was asking Jeeves. All right. All night. Listen, this is the deal. You can call it 
You can call it a little, a little God, a little distraction, a little thing like maybe time or discipline, or it can be a really big thing like a relationship or addiction. The devil doesn't care how big the God is as long as he can get you to bow to it. See, Satan doesn't have to have your devotion. He will be content with your distraction. He'll be, he'll be totally content with you missing a quiet time this week. The devil will just be happy with that. But the Lord will not be. He wants undistracted devotion. That's why he's, he's not mad at you. He just wants you completely. And he will, his heart will not be satisfied till you belong 100% to him. He say, oh, my heart is fully devoted. Probably not, but, but you should be growing. And there is grace for that. As long as you're pointed in the right direction. We have all kinds of idols. Uh, some of the idols that we have right now, wokeism, nationalism. What are, you, what are you thinking mostly about? Cultural issues. People abandon the Lord because they don't like the way the world is going. Because they don't like the way. Maybe you need to go to communist China and join a church and find out what real discomfort is. Find out what real oppression, maybe then you'll be refined by the fire. Maybe talk to some of these Christians in Iraq right now. Maybe you should join the church there. I, I mean, listen, you guys know I don't like saying statements like this. I think much of the American church would not survive there right now. Because we have this idol called comfort. People are more devoted to their which side of the ballot they vote on or the issue than they are to God, a governmental system. But the greatest idol of all is the idol of I, <laughs> the idol of self. So God calls us to faithfulness. Let's carry on. Number two, or this B, <laughs> don't get comfortable in the culture. Don't get comfortable in the culture. Listen, we have a culture that's asking us to bow at every demand except for God's. And this, this is the problem is it, it is draining. I don't know about you. I'm wore out from all the issues, all the things that culture is asking me to bow down to, all the things that culture is asking me to speak up against, all the things that, that culture is asking me to, to, to say something about. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves bowing at the demands of culture instead of our commitment to the Lord. And we'll get complacent. This, this is the problem that we're dealing with right now because we're wore out. We just go, I don't have energy to, to speak about anything, to talk about anything, right? Anybody else there? It's like, we're just, right? We're, we're like drained. Our, our passion is empty because there's, there's so many things that we're supposed to be loud about. And so if we're not careful, we'll grow complacent, not just in those issues, which whatever. But we'll get complacent in our commitment to the Lord. And we'll just say, ah, just, you know, let's just not make a big deal about it. We'll just kind of be quiet. quiet. But the problem is, is this complacency always leads to compromise. This is why it's always so important for you to stay fervent before the Lord in your devotional life. Because you get complacent there, you get complacent in your pursuit of Jesus. The next thing you know, you're letting little sins into your life. Ne next thing you know, you're watching TV shows that you wouldn't have watched five years ago. The next thing you know, you're using words that you never would have used five years ago. The next thing you know, you're, you're, you're missing church more than you would have two months ago. Why? It's just, it's just complacency. Now you're just compromising because you've just kind of settled in with the culture. 
And one of the things that our culture is using right now is this tactic of fear and manipulation to wear us down to get us to the place of compromise. Fear. And this is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was using against the, the, the children of Israel. Bow or else will cancel you. Shut up about your God. I don't want to hear about your God. I don't want to hear about your standards. I don't want to hear about the scriptures. Shut up or else. I'll give you one more chance and then you're canceled. Fear. Listen, if it's fear that's motivating you, it's of the devil. God doesn't need it. We should come to the Lord with a sense of reverence and awe. Absolutely. But God doesn't motivate with or else. Manipulation, trickery, all this is of the devil. By the way, all these things are just pressure. They're not persecution. So let me calibrate your perspective on that. Trying to get you to bow is not persecution. It's just pressure. Persecution is coming. It is coming. It's already here in much of the world. It's hitting us a little bit, a little bit. It'll grow. This is a promise of scripture. Will you endure? Listen, some of you can't even stand under the pressure. You're definitely not gonna stand under the persecution. Some of you can't stand under the pressure. You're for sure not gonna be able to stand against the persecution. Do you have that in your heart? Do you have that resistance in your heart that I'm not gonna bow? The, 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 C is this, is embrace your contrast. Just embrace it that you're different. Just embrace it. Just embrace it. People are gonna make fun of you. People are gonna think you're ridiculous. People are gonna label you, label you as being judgmental or hypocritical or whatever label they can label on you. Just, okay, it's just the pressure. It's just trying to get you to bow before their idols. I can imagine there were other Jews or other people there that weren't really wanting to bow either and just saying, hey, guys, come on, just bow down. God will see your heart. God knows your heart. Why don't you just, won't you just quiet down? Well, you'll do more good if you, if you bow down and then you can just kind of keep doing what you're doing, just keep living the life you're doing. No, 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 you don't understand how deep our commitment to God runs. It is a deep commitment. We're not gonna bow. Can you imagine? I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of people around them. Just, come on, calm down. Don't, don't create a stir. Just kind of blend in. Come on, you're, you, you want to represent the Lord well, don't you? Do you want to be a nice little Christian? Listen, beloved, kindness does not always mean nice, being nice. doesn't mean being compliant. Don't create a stir. First, listen, embrace your contrast. First Peter 2.11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, your convictions. Live such good lives among the pagans <laughs> that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So what's he saying? He's saying exactly what we're talking about. He's saying you're not gonna change the world through your compromise, you're gonna change it through your commitment. So resist, resist the temptation, resist being motivated by fear, resist your idols, resist temptation, resist the norm.
We should be different. Embrace it. This is not our home. This is, this is not our home. We shouldn't act like we belong here. We, do, we don't belong here. Listen, we don't be, this world is not your home. You don't belong here. Let me remind you. We, when, when all this darkness is happening, we should feel conflicted. Absolutely. It doesn't mean we should be, I expect them to conform to us. We just understand it's messed up. So what am I going to do about it? I'm going to let the light shine. I'm going to let them see my excellence. I'm going to let them see my diligence. I'm going to let them see my commitment to God. And this is what everybody saw in Babylon that day. They saw the resistance. It was deep in their commitment. The second thing they saw is their resolve. It wasn't just the refusal to bow and the resistance. It was a resolve to say no matter what. No matter what. Remember Esther, if I die, I die, right? Daniel 3.18, but even if he doesn't, We just want to be clear, King, even if he doesn't, we're not going to. This is not something that I'm going to give into. And listen, we can talk about compliance. And I believe compliance is a virtue until it's not. Compliance is virtuous until it's not. And we can go along until it tells us to go against what God is saying. We can go along until it goes against what God is saying when he says, do not fear. Because if you're being motivated by fear, you're not being motivated by God. So compliance is virtuous until it's not. We talk about this thing called civil disobedience. What the children of Israel did not do, they didn't say, everyone! They didn't create an uprising. They were just, we're going to stand for God. We're not going to try to change the system right now. They were, cha- they were trying to change the system, but they weren't going to do it in, in, a, in a way that's like calling, you know, come on, let's, let's just kill Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, they were wise enough probably to devise a plan to do that. They were very wise. They probably could have got, like Elijah, probably could have called on the God of fire to take him out, but they decided they wanted to influence this place. Notice how they're still saying, Your Majesty. We're just not going to do it. We've been serving you. Might even be like, we, we've been, we love you. We appreciate what you've done for We appreciate your, all the food you've provided for us. But listen, this is just where the line is drawn. It's right here. We don't cross that line, old king. I'm not going to do it. Now, we've talked a lot about wisdom in this series. But listen, obeying God is always the wisest decision. Obeying God is always the wisest decision. See, you're not smarter than God. (laughs) You don't need to be clever to figure a way to work God in. You just need to obey him. Because we know Proverbs 9, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Not the fear of man. Not knowing the culture. Not being relevant. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So we need to place more weight on our obedience to the Lord than anything else. So I love this resolve that they have, even if God doesn't. Even if things don't go the way that we hope that they will go, we will not bow. Are you willing to serve God when things don't go your way? 
I would say that many won't. I remember as a new Christian making deals with God. <laughs> Anybody ever make deals with God? I don't think that that's necessarily always a bad thing. Let me just, let me say that. I think you can make commitments to the Lord. But when it doesn't go your way, how do you act? That's the difference. See, are you willing to serve God when things don't go your way? When the answer to your prayer is no. See, what they didn't know (laughs) is that they would be joined in the fire. They believed it, but they didn't know it. They believed God would deliver them. They believed that God would preserve them, but they didn't know it. So they said, even if God doesn't, we're still, we're willing to die for our commitment. That's what they're saying. If I die, I die. What about, what about when God calls you to do something and there's no foreseeable reward? Man, God, if I do that, I might lose my job. God, if I do that, I might lose this relationship. They might break up with me. Who do you love more? Do you have the resolve, even if it doesn't go my way? What if if the only reward, listen, what if the only reward for you obeying God is that one day you stand before him and he goes, you obeyed me. The only fruit that you got out of that is that you obeyed me. Your bank account didn't grow. Your friend list didn't grow. Your influence didn't grow. Nothing improved in your life. All you did was obey me. And he smiles. Is that enough? Do you have resolve, God? Even, even if it doesn't go my way. Even if it costs me everything. And this is what Jesus was looking for. Whenever he walked the earth and he found his disciples, he said, you know what? I want you to throw down your net. I want you to throw down your livelihood and I want you to pick up your cross. I want you to pick up the the, the lifestyle of the crucified life. I don't want you to come to me for life. I want you to die and come to me and then you'll experience life. But I want you to lay down what you have. Are you willing? This is what following Jesus looks like. It's a resolve, even if it didn't go my way. Have you resolved in your heart, I'm going to obey God regardless of the outcome? Are you more devoted to Jesus than you are your self-preservation? And so what happens is the Lord requires us of something or God uses someone to speak into our life, the word of God, and we go, that's toxic. I hope it's toxic to your flesh. I hope it kills your flesh because it rubs me the wrong way. Good. Maybe the part that's feeling the wrong way is your carnality. But if you resolved, it doesn't matter who hurts me. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter who rejects me. It doesn't matter if the bank account's empty. It doesn't matter if I'm out on the streets. I'm going to obey God. Do you have that kind of resolve? This is what he's looking for. And this is the resolve of these three Hebrew children. Daniel 3, 19. Here's the story continues. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious (laughs) with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. (laughs) However that looks. Look at your neighbor with a face distorted with rage. (laughs) Pastor needs to finish. Okay. Can't believe he said that to me. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Woo! I mean, it was already hot enough to melt golden bricks. How much faces? All right. 
Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army, not that he needed the strongest men, they would have went along with it, to bond Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire to the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied up, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in his amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the fire? He's looking through this little window of this furnace. He's going, he's checking on his destruction. Yeah, I'll watch them burn. These little devoted people, how dare them defy the king's command. I, I, all my officers here are dead. Why are they still alive? And he's looking in and he says, hey, guys, didn't we throw three men in the fire? They're like, yeah, we did. We threw them in, three of them. Will you count with me? Shadrach? Check. Meshach? Yeah. Abednego? Uh-huh. Uh-oh. There's somebody else in there. There's someone, there's four, I'm I'm, I'm seeing four, 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 there's four people in there. And the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. He's saying he looks like one of the idols that we've been worshiping. There's someone else in the fire with them. Who's in the fire? We'll get there. And guess what? They're no longer bound. Their ropes are burned off, but their clothes are still there. So he goes up a little closer, as close as he can go without being burned up. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego step out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowd around all these people that were there executing the order are gathered around these three Hebrew children that wouldn't bow to the order that they commanded and saw that the fire had not touched them nor a hair on their head was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They did not even smell like smoke. Now listen, whether you survive the fire or not, do you have the resolve? And I would, I would tell you this today. The third thing that they had is resilience. They had a resilience. They were unfazed by the fire. Whether they died in the fire or they came out of the fire like they did, they were, res- they were resilient. Because we see, we see the, through, in Hebrews that many died. Many have died. Many have died still today going through the fire. But these three didn't. And the, and the ones that died were just as resilient as these three were. But they were unfazed. See, this is what I love about this. These guys, these strong men, throw them in to the fire. Did you know that there is a fire, the fire of persecution that will destroy the influence of the enemy on your life? And the fire that we go through, the fire of persecution, because we're beyond the fire of pressure that happened earlier. Now we're in the fire of persecution. It will burn off your bondage. It will burn off the influence of your enemy. See, refining comes to the resilient. See, many of us, we are in a refining fire that's supposed to burn off our enemies and our bondage, but you cannot endure the fire, so you bail. And what happens is you're not refined. And when you come out, you come out smelling like smoke. 
You come out and you look like some of y'all been through fire this week, and it's obvious. Listen, I believe that God is developing something in his people that whenever we come out of the fire, when we come under the pressure, when we come out, we don't smell like smoke. Yeah, this week has been hell, but guess what? I don't smell like hell. I smell like heaven. You know who I smell like? I don't smell like the flames of persecution. I smell like the fragrance of Christ because he was with me in the flames. And when I came out, I came out smelling like him. Listen, if you can stand under the pressure, if you can stand up under the pressure to bow, you can stand in the midst of the fire of persecution with Jesus right there beside you. And you will come out the other side. But some will never see Jesus in the fires of persecution because they've never passed the fires of the test of pressure. Don't bow. What I love about this is is that they weren't resilient because they had it all together. Because they weren't in the fire alone. They weren't, and it wasn't just one in Jesus in the fire alone. They had their community there. They had their people there with your fire. Did you know that there's people, I believe that there's people in this room that they'll stand in that fire with you. When all hell breaks loose around you, they'll be with you in the fire. But it's not just them. There's a fourth man in the fire. It's not just about your community. It's the fourth man, right? We follow Jesus together. So there's these three that are in the fire and there's the fourth man in the fire that is making them resilient. We're resilient, not because the way that we were built and because we're tough, No, we've maintained a tenderness. We're not tough. We're just resilient. But it's not because the way that we're built, it's because of who we're around. And the most important person that we're around is him. We're resilient because he is with us. Isn't it interesting that the same place that was used to build a kingdom of darkness is the same place where we see the builder and the founder of our faith. Come on, isn't it glorious that the chief cornerstone was in the flames with, the, with, these, with these three men? You'll find them in the fire, beloved. You might not feel them during the pressure, but if it comes to fire, he'll be there with you in the fire. Will you stand long enough to be with Jesus through the fire? What a joy. What a, that's something you could tell your grandkids. Let me tell you what, Nebuchadnezzar built this big old statue and everybody was bowing and we said, you know what, man, can, I, can, can we get to the point, beloved, to where we live with such resolve, where we live with such resilient that whenever we were before our kids, they don't look at us and go, man, they just didn't really set a very high standard for me morally. But they look at us and they go, man, my parents, I just watched them obey God when it was hard. And then I heard their stories about how when they were in that fire that day and they were freaked out and they were unsure, but they were with Jesus in the fire and Jesus was there and they came out smelling like him. That's what I want my testimony to be. I don't want it to be, my dad was so cool and he was my BFF. You can keep all the BFF language. I want to inspire 
hope and faith in my children and in the next generation and the people that I'm around. I'm not really interested in being relevant. I'm interested in being committed. These are the facts. We're going to come under fire. So be resilient. Be resolved. You're going to come under fire. It might be the fire of pressure. It might be the fire of persecution. You'll have to endure the pressure before you ever get to the persecution. And some of you won't ever see Jesus because you bow under the pressure. The second is this, is Jesus will be with us in the fire. He might be with us in the fire to take us home. He might be with us in the fire to take us out. But he'll be with us in the fire. Beloved, get this. He doesn't deliver us from the fire. He delivers us through it. And some of y'all are asking the Lord to deliver you from a trial. You're just not going to get out of it. But what you do have is you do have a fourth man in the fire with you. And he'll be there with you. He didn't promise in this world, you're not going to have any trouble. No, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome Babylon. And get this, we can come out unfazed with the fragrance of Christ instead of the fragrance of flames. And this is what happens in verse 28 through 30, and you can read it later. He brings them out of the fire, and here they are. And he's like, what is happening? And where did that fourth man go? And what happened to your bondage? What happened to your enemies that threw you in? And this, is what, this was his testimony. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God but their own. What is your testimony? What is your testimony? Does it cost you something? Are you, are you willing to pay a little bit of a price to obey God? And so what he does because of this moment is he says, so here's the deal. <laughs> Go ahead and take down that statue. Throw it in the furnace. Let's make jewelry out of it or something. And he says, let's make a new decree that anyone that defies the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whoever defies that God, let him be torn from limb to limb. <laughs> Not really what we're looking for, king, but <laughs> you're the king. <laughs> Honor up. <laughs> and he says this, there's no God who can rescue like this. And listen, they were already at a high place. They were already promoted because of all the things we talked about in recent weeks. Then he promoted them to even higher positions in the providence of Babylon. They were promoted. They influenced a king. They turned the hearts of a king, not because of their compromise, but because of their consecration. Our consecration, not our compromise, can influence the culture. Mm-hmm.